Our gospel reading for this Lord's Day is Matthew chapter 21, the first 11 verses. Pay close attention, this is God's holy word. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can hear it and meditate on it together today, even though we are scattered and spread out. I pray that by your spirit, you would unify us, that you would bring us together, and that together we would contemplate these things out of your word, that we would meditate on them, and that we would obey all the things that you have told us to do. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock, and our nearest kinsman. Amen. People of God, there are certain events in our lifetimes which immediately stand out to us, even as they're taking place. They stand out to us as being historically significant. Even as we watch the news or read the reports, we know that we're going to remember this day for a long time. We'll always remember where we were, who we were with, what we were doing. So you may not remember what you were doing on just any random Tuesday in 1986, but you remember the Tuesday when the space shuttle Challenger exploded, for example. I don't think anyone would argue with me if I said we're living in one of those historically significant times right now. Who will ever be able to forget when everything was shut down, we had to stay home for days and weeks, when basic necessities were hard to find in the grocery store, when we were unable to worship together? In my family, we've wondered how our kids are going to talk about these days when they tell these stories to their children. We're going to remember these days for a long time, which is why it is critical for us that we walk in faithfulness, especially now, that we do the things now that will bring us joy years from now, not the things that will bring us shame years from now. Now is the time to strengthen and deepen our relationship to the Lord. Don't fail in those basic disciplines. Study the scriptures together, pray together, confess your sins. Put away wicked habits. It's vital that during these days we exercise kindness and gentleness toward each other, that we go out of our way to not give offense, and that we go out of our way to not take offense. If everyone in a family gave 100% effort to not giving offense, and everyone gave 100% effort to not take offense, then we would have pretty peaceful homes. Now is the time for husbands to love their wives and for wives to respect their husbands. That children honor and obey their parents is vital. Now, these are the days to trust and obey the Lord. 
Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. This is the time. This time is not purposeless. God has a design for these days. As the pages of history are being written in front of us, now is the time to trust and be faithful. In Matthew chapter 21, the people who came out of the city of Jerusalem to greet Jesus, waving palm branches and singing psalms, they surely must have also realized that they were witnessing a historically significant event. In fact, so that no one misses the importance of what is happening here, we find layer upon layer of historic symbol and reference. First of all, the people are singing Hosanna, which means save us, rescue us, deliver us. We think back to all the times that Israel in her history was in a position to cry out, deliver us, most notably when they were in slavery in Egypt. Their groans and their cries in Egypt are heard by God, and he sets events in motion to bring them out of bondage. Now, this new generation of Israelites are in bondage. They are in a spiritual Egypt, and they need a new Moses. They need a greater Joshua to deliver them. And here, before their very eyes, here he comes, and they see the gears are in motion to bring them into liberty. What else is going on here? Well, they sing from Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That Psalm 18 is from the section of Psalms that are written after the Babylonian exile during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. This Psalm references the struggle of God's people to build a temple, even when they're surrounded by enemies. The people now in Matthew 21 sing this Psalm again to praise the one who they hope will reestablish proper worship at the temple. They know that they are in a land surrounded by enemies, just as Ezra and Nehemiah were. And so they praise Jesus as the new temple builder, the architect of a new city. Jesus is the greater Ezra. He's the greater Nehemiah. He's also triumphantly entering the city gates, bringing the very presence of God in himself, as David did when he danced into Jerusalem as the conquering king, bringing the Ark of the Covenant, bringing the throne of God into Jerusalem. Jesus is here, the greater David, and people see this. The people are waving palm branches as they did in the days of the Maccabees. In those days, after they had purified the temple, they took palm branches from the booths they had erected for the Feast of Tabernacles, and they sang and danced and rejoiced around the city in the time of the Maccabees. The palm branch was a clear reminder then of that era and had become a national symbol for the people of Jerusalem. And so they grabbed these symbols to once again be rescued and delivered and to be purified and made whole again. That's what they expect Jesus to do in some way. Jesus comes riding on a donkey, which is like a 50-foot flashing neon sign. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah. Everyone knows their Bibles, and they know what Jesus is doing. He was that king that Zechariah told us about. Here he is in front of our eyes. History is being fulfilled in front of us. And then they spread their garments on the ground before Jesus as a gesture of respect. This is what they did to King Jehu back in 2 Kings 9. Jehu was a commander in the army of the Lord when God directed Elisha to anoint him as king in order to be a divine avenger against the house of wicked idolatrous Ahab. So Jehu was anointed and all the men take off their garments and made a carpet of their garments all the way up the stairs to his house. And then they blow trumpets and they shout, Jehu is king. Well, if I put my coat under you, 
that means you're more important than me. If I put my shirt on the ground and you walk over it, that's a pretty clear symbol that I serve you. I'm under you. You are over me. And that's what they were saying about King Jehu. And now recalling that here, Israel comes out to greet the new king, the new divine avenger against the house of wicked, idolatrous Herod and Caesar. They see Jesus as the greater Jehu, the greater deliverer, the greater avenger. And they show that by throwing their coats down on the ground. You see, the signs are all piling up here to give us this highly concentrated, symbolic, biblical picture of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, fulfilling all of Israel's history in what is about to take place. Uh, imagine if I drove up to your house driving a Chevy truck, wearing a powdered wig, a stovetop hat with an eagle perched on one forearm. I had an apple pie in the other hand. I was quoting the preamble to the Constitution while a marching band played Stars and Stripes Forever on my stereo and fireworks were shooting out of the bed of my pickup, you would say, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. I know you are happy to be an American. Just one or two of those things would communicate to you where I'm from and whose history I identify with. Well, here Jesus does this, not in an obnoxious way, but in a clear way, he piles on the historic themes so that even the blind and deaf can tell that he is the one at whom all of Israel's history is directed. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He embodies Israel's identity in this very public, open demonstration. Now, this is a major turn of events in the ministry of Jesus. To this point, he's been keeping a lid on things. We can think of several times where Jesus told people to keep things quiet. Remember, Mary asked Jesus, to do something about the wine shortage at the wedding. And his initial response is, my hour has not yet come. He's not ready to reveal himself uh, quite yet, though he does do the miracle. He heals a leper later on and he says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest. Well, the leper goes ahead and he tells everybody, but Jesus is trying to keep things as quiet as possible, as contained as possible. Uh, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they answer, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And they say, well, you are the Christ. And then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And then after the transfiguration, again, he commands Peter, James, and John that they tell no one what they had seen until after the resurrection. This whole time through his ministry, Jesus hasn't been seeking fame. In fact, he's been working very carefully to stay far out of the consciousness of the temple authorities, the Sanhedrin, the seat of power in Jerusalem, avoiding them because he knows that once that showdown happens, there is an inevitable series of events that are going to take him to the cross. Now, he's in control of everything. He lays down his own life, but he knows that once those dominoes start falling, they lead to the cross. And so throughout the Gospels, Jesus moves from town to town, from house to house. He stays on the road. He's always traveling. For the most part, he's staying away from Jerusalem until now. Now, after the resurrection of Lazarus, which we read about last week, now the veil of secrecy is removed. There's no more keeping it quiet. There's no more privacy now. And that's why we see this wide open display on Palm Sunday where everybody in the city knows that he is there 
and who he is and what he is representing and, and who he is embodying. And now there are no more secrets. His hour has come. So Jesus comes to his people. He comes to his city. He comes to the house of his father. And as he comes, they're singing, Hosanna, deliver us. Here, he is going to deliver them in a way that they are not quite prepared for. As they sing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, they don't know quite what they're in for. All the city is stirred up. All the city is moved. And the people start to ask, who is this? Who is causing all of this commotion? What's going on here? And the multitudes respond, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's who this is. In the same way, we often pray, O come, Lord Jesus. That is a regular prayer of mine. I pray, Lord, come, change the world. Come, rescue us. Come, save and heal. Come in reformation. Come in revival. Hosanna, I pray, deliver us. In worship, we have recently begun singing the Sanctus, which echoes the song of the people waving the palm branches here. We sing, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. And then what? Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When we sing Hosanna in the highest, it means that we acknowledge our salvation doesn't come from earth it doesn't come from earthly powers. It doesn't come from people. Our deliverance comes from on high. Our deliverance comes from heaven's courts. We need heaven's rule. We need heaven's deliverance, heaven's salvation. And so we say, Hosanna in the highest. That's where our salvation rests. Now they sing this song in Jerusalem and their prayers are being heard and answered, but not in the way they predicted, not in the way they thought it would work out. Is it any surprise then that as we pray this prayer for deliverance, that we might also be taken off guard in the way things work out? That when Jesus comes to shake up our world, that it would happen in a way that we did not expect and maybe weren't quite ready for. Remember the story of the blind man that we read just a few weeks ago. The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And uh, Jesus says, no, this happened for the glory of God. Uh, there's something completely different going on here. Well, a lot of people are asking the same question about our present crisis. Who sinned here? Whose fault is this? What? Who's to blame for this? And I'm not prepared to draw black lines between our present world crisis and specific sins or specific people, or specific nations saying authoritatively, this is a clear judgment for that. Because as God works his purposes out in the world, he does so in a multi-purposeful way so that there are countless effects. There are innumerable consequences. All kinds of things are happening at once that no one can keep track of and no one can keep track of everything, but it's all for his glory. And it's the way he brings new creation. It's the way he redeems and restructures the world. But we know that there are no accidents. We know that there are no happenstances. And so there are a few things that stand out that make it clear to us that we are right now witnessing a coming near of the Lord. Jesus is coming. This is a day of the Lord. This is Jesus coming in response to our prayer for deliverance. Well, the first reason I think this is that because we live in a world 
and we live in a society that is ripe for judgment. We are living in a world that is way overdue for a day of the Lord. You see, you can't elevate idols and destroy lives and pursue the indulging of your flesh and pollute marriage in the family and ignore God's law and despise the Lord Jesus and think that you're going to get away with it. The triune and living God is shaking up the world to call us to repentance. Some people will repent and they will believe and some people will be hardened as happens in history. But the things that we're seeing are the things that happen to a proud, godless society. God brings sickness and death and stagnation and poverty and scarcity to self-sufficient, arrogant cultures. Is it any surprise that he would do the same to us? Can anyone say we don't deserve this? I don't think we can. He also gives rebellious people more of the thing that's destroying them. And this is curious. When Israel despised the manna in the wilderness and they lusted after meat, God gave them so much quail that it came out of their nostrils. It became nauseating to them. Isn't it interesting the way that we as a society, it seems like we want nothing more than to be left alone to our internet nonsense, our internet perversity. We want to be left alone to our video games and our Netflix and to binge watch our television shows. That's what we want more than anything. And so God has arranged the world right now so that everyone has to go sit in their houses until they're fed up with all of this, until it comes out their nostrils. It, it sure seems like judgment right now. In the same way as a society, we have asked not for liberty, we ask for bondage. Nationally, economically, we desire invasive control over every area of our lives. Well, you want that? Here it, here it is. Here's what that looks like. Here's what you wanted. How do you like it? And while God is merciful to his people in the midst of trouble, the church is also suffering presently. We are not happy to be scattered. We're not happy to not be able to worship together right now. Uh, for all the reasons that we're not able to worship together, it's not pleasant. Remember in our epistle reading this morning, Peter said, judgment begins at the house of God. And when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he goes directly to his father's house to begin the battle. Jesus doesn't go to Caesar's palace. He doesn't go to the forum in Athens. He doesn't go to the Acropolis or the temple of Zeus. Jesus begins at the house of God. So what's going on in the church right now, especially in America? Well, he really tend to lead insular lives. We also want to be left alone. Moreover, Americans don't typically think of faithful church attendance as being that important. There are a million higher priorities than going to worship God. Any excuse will do. Anything can be and will be employed as an excuse to stay away from worship. You like skipping worship? You like not making it a priority for you and your family? Well, here's some more of that until it comes out your nose. And maybe, and my prayer is that we'll come back together longing for the genuine article. I pray that we will never again take corporate worship for granted. But here and now, the, the suffering and the tribulation is being felt acutely by the church. And if judgment begins at the house of God, God is calling on his church first to repent. First, the church is corrected. 
first the church is reformed. And I'm afraid until the church gets the lesson, until the church turns from her wicked ways, until the church repents of her bad theology and her bad practices, I'm afraid there's only more of this until the Lord feels that we've gotten the lesson. Now, I'm not even scratching the surface of everything that the Lord is teaching us. I don't think it's possible for me to know right now everything that the Lord is doing all at the same time to everyone and and everywhere. I think many of the things we're going to learn we're going to understand by looking back on these days at some point in the future. But what I do know is this. It's in times like these that idols are exposed. False messiahs are stripped of all of their awe and all of their influence. And in the midst of being around in the darkness, gripping tenaciously to institutions and powers that cannot deliver me. I want all idols to be toppled. I want all sins to be repented of. And I want to faithfully invite the Lord Jesus to come do all the work that needs to be done in my life, in my family, in my church, and in my community. Because we're people of the day. We're people of the light. We can see what is happening. When, when people ask, who is this? Who, what is going on? We say with the multitudes in Matthew 21, we say, oh yeah, this is Jesus. This is Jesus who's coming. This is his work. Yeah, he's in charge here. That's what makes us different from the world who are uh, trapped in fear and governed by anxiety. We know that the Lord is moving. And so we can say joyfully, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Our salvation is coming near. So what sorts of things are you being forced to face in yourself that maybe you've been burying or maybe you've been ignoring, but now... Because of this crisis, because of this extended time that you've been given to reflect on your family or yourself, because of this, a spotlight is shining on your unbiblical thoughts, your unbiblical behaviors and feelings. What what is being revealed to you? Do not waste this opportunity. Now is the time to confess your sins and repent. Now is the time to trust and obey. God is giving you this time now to deal with these things. Study the scriptures, pray, confess your sins. If you need help, call, write, text me or an elder or a friend that you trust to talk through the things that you're working through. We're called to bear each other's burdens. I can help you with that. Your friends and other people can help you with those things as well. And we can work on them together. My point is don't waste this time. Jesus comes to us just as he came to Jerusalem. When he came to Jerusalem, he came to the temple. He came as the inspecting priest. Will he find his house now full of corruption? Will he find it desolate the way he did then? Will he remove our lampstand? God forbid. He comes to us as a conquering king. He comes to rule over us and to utterly defeat everything that stands in opposition to his rule. Nothing will stand that opposes King Jesus. You can be sure of that. He comes as the conquering king. He comes also as the apocalyptic prophet to declare the destruction of darkness and death, the destruction of the old world. All evil has an expiration date. All wickedness will have its end. None of it will last. I can't tell you much about the future, but I can tell you that all death and unbelief and wickedness will be conquered. 
He comes as the inspecting priest. He comes as the conquering king. He comes as the apocalyptic prophet. He comes now to usher us into life beyond this death-like experience. And in that, knowing that this is all being shepherded and superintended by our God, in that there is great consolation and hope and encouragement. Trust in him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word once again, and thank you for this time that we've had to reflect on these things together. Secure our hearts in the hope and trust that you have given us by your Holy Spirit, the trust that we have in your promises, in your goodnesses, and in your mercies. Father, uphold us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.